Welcome to the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. I'm Curtis Rogers, Communications Director, and today I'm pleased to have with us in our virtual podcast studio, Kate Boyd and John Quirk. Kate is the South Carolina Digital Library Program Director and Associate Director for the Midlands Region, and John is the Assistant Coordinator for the Midlands Region here in the Columbia area in South Carolina. And this is the first in a series, a short series, on the South Carolina Digital Library and Library Digitization Project. So welcome both of you to the podcast. Thank you, thanks for having us. Thanks Curtis, great to be here. Good to have you both with us. So um, Kate, why don't we start with you? Could you kind of give us just a little overview of the South Carolina Digital Library and kind of a history of it, how it all started? Sure, so um, library digitization in general probably started in the mid-90s. The Library of Congress was doing a lot of digitization. And as time went by, academic libraries at institutions across the country started thinking about scanning their special collections and making them available online. In 2004, the South Carolina, University of South Carolina actually started their digitization. And around the exact same time, Clemson and College of Charleston were doing the same thing, looking at a piece of software they could use to make the materials available online and purchasing scanning equipment. So in like 06, 07, the three institutions, we started talking to each other about what kind of software we were using. And it turned out we were all using the same piece of library software. It's called Contendium and a big library company named OCLC sells it. And so we all purchased it around the same time. We all realized that there was this other connection we could make with each other if we all followed the same metadata standards or another way of saying that is sort of like how do you describe your materials, you know, title, date, filling out the fields for describing the materials in the same way. If we all followed the same standards, they were actually at that time becoming national standards slowly but surely then we could share our data together across one platform. And that was really kind of exciting. So we started off with those three institutions and then Georgetown County Public Library, right at the very beginning, they were right there with us. The four institutions had their data uh, harvested into one repository. From there, I, I hired a student who was in library school at the time who helped us create the landing page and the search engine so that people could search across these four institutions and see their materials. That was Chris Vinson, who you're going to be talking to in a little bit, um, who's now at Clemson. <laughs> um, so we, we got to, we also, what was really nice was we also got funding from the state library. We got, we wrote a number of LSTA grants back in those early days. And I think also Pascal, the Academic Library Consortium in the state of South Carolina, also helped us write some grants. And that allowed us to reach out to smaller institutions like archives and public libraries to see if they wanted to add their materials to our repository. We were able to do that because our repositories were sort of, we had unlimited access at the time. So it didn't matter how many items we put in there and it was easy for us. We had the equipment. We knew the metadata standards, so we wanted to help these other institutions so that they didn't feel like they had to buy the same equipment and the same software. Uh, the software can be pretty expensive. So with the LSTA funding, we promoted the project, did some training, and helped other institutions add their materials. 
Um, and over time, we just continued to add institutions and collections. And the other nice thing that's happened through this is that small or not so small libraries that started with us, one example is the Richland Library. They were early, meant, uh, early partners with us. And they, we were hosting their materials for them. And then they, you know, decided they wanted to do it more. And so they bought their own repository and hired their own digital collections librarian. So, you know, we started with those four institutions being harvested. And now we're up to, I think, nine institutions and I think about 70 institutions statewide who are involved in the project. It really is amazing. I was at your uh, website looking around and, you know, uh, it just you know, knowing where to start is just like, kind of like, what, what do I do? It's, it's fascinating. And, and like you said, having the, you know, ability to search all of these digital libraries is, is really, really wonderful. So, um, John, if you could talk a little bit about the Midlands region and maybe how it's managed and, and how the collections are organized. Sure, yes. Um, I am sort of the pointsman for direct communication with our partner institutions here in the Midlands. Kate is sort of in charge of the big picture, the, the big uh, events that we do. But I have regular, and we, Kate will send out regular group emails to uh, everyone that is involved with news about things going on with the SCDL. Um, but I will often um, reach out to our partners uh, with the more direct way. I, I um, call or, or email my contacts at these different institutions and uh, just check in, see what they're working on and, and discuss um, any new digital collections that might be on the horizon and, and offer any uh, help I can to, to uh, help them bring that uh, to success. Um, and I think I think this kind of personal outreach has been the catalyst for a number of interesting online collections. You know, having someone that you know is there to help you answer questions and can help you um, solve problems can make what seems like a daunting task uh, a good bit easier. Um, and so, once a new collection is ready, whether whether I have scanned it or the partner institution has has uh, done the work, I will then load the images and the metadata into our content management system at the University of South Carolina. And then I will create a landing page with a description of the collection uh, for the SCDL um, website. And then finally, once the new metadata has been harvested uh, into the SCDL database and everything is looking good, we encourage the partners to publicize their collection and we offer a press kit um, with resources on um, on the site to help them do that. So the collections are organized first by partner institutions. Each one has an institution page that describes the institution and displays the collections that they're responsible for. And a user can then look at all the items from an institution's select collection or uh, can search uh, across all the items that they have in, in, in all of their collections. And these results can be filtered by, by many ways, subject, uh, media type, geography, date. And it's a really flexible and easy to use search tool. And then similarly, uh, users can also browse all collections statewide and um, in a number of different ways, uh, geography, media type, time period, and um, just see 
what's what's available across the state in given collections. Very cool. Uh, thank you for that. And one of the things you mentioned is, and I every time I you know am talking about or looking at digital libraries, I always hear the word metadata. And so, you know, for people who don't know what metadata is, it's the data about data or the data of data. <laughs> so um, for each item, you have to have this metadata. And how is that created? Are, do you guys create that? Or does a cataloger create that in the cataloging department and then it's uploaded? How does that work? Yeah, that's a very good question, uh, Curtis. Uh, I'm sorry, we throw the, word, the term metadata around uh, a little too liberally. Many people really don't understand what that is. It is the, the cataloging, the description of, of um, just what you're, what you're putting uh, online, and, and it allows people to search and um, filter out results, and uh, it just gives information, as you said, about that. And there's a number of ways that that's created. Um, Depending on the institution, um, it, it's a, it can be a complicated matter. And so a smaller institution that maybe doesn't have somebody there with some library um, background, um, they might provide either, either the images for me to scan and then I'll create the metadata, or um, they may provide the scans that they've done and I will generate the metadata from that with the help of some descriptions that they'll provide. Uh, but increasingly, um, we have partners who are pretty facile with creating the metadata. I go to great lengths to provide templates and, um, and instruction, and I'm always there at a phone calls uh, away to help work through problems. So increasingly, the metadata comes in done, and, and we just take a good look at it, make sure it's up to our, our standards. It's really, we have high standards for, for this so that it would work in conjunction uh, across all of the collections in the, um, in the SCDL. And, uh, you know, when I'm thinking about all of these different items that are in these various collections, I bet when you're talking about metadata, you really love it when there's a photograph and then a lot of writing on the back saying who's in the photograph and what year it is and month and day and you know I bet that's always great. Yeah that definitely happens. Um, you know we, we do love any data we can get. Sometimes it adds uh, to a challenge, adds a challenge to try to read the read that but we transcribe it as best we can and and very often we'll also digitize the backside of a um, photograph especially if it has pertinent information stamps dates things like that you know professional photo photographers often have their own metadata on the back of of a photograph and you can't always um, transcribe all of that it's sometimes overwhelming and it's sometimes a jumble um, but it may mean something to somebody so we'll We'll transcribe that. I mean, we will digitize that and um, create a compound structure so you'll see the photograph and you'll know that there's the backside available um, and you can just click on that and see it. That's very, very interesting because I know people who are who are doing research and, and you know, they are going to want as much information as possible. So um, while we're talking about photographs and, and different kinds of things that are in different collections, what kinds of formats are covered? Are, I, I know I've been in and I've seen like a postcard collection and you know just lots of different kinds of things. So what are all the different formats that, that are in these collections? Right, that's a very good point. Um, the South Carolina Digital Library represents just about any format you can imagine. Architectural drawings, audio, oral histories, books, 
documents, film and video, you know, moving image files, still images which can include photographs, uh, paintings, aerial photographs, uh, manuscripts, maps, three-dimensional objects, pamphlets, periodicals, um, postcards, like you said, sheet music, yearbooks, you name it. It's pretty much everything is represented there. It's really fascinating. And one thing uh, that popped out when you, you said it is 3D objects. Can uh, either one of you talk a little bit about that? How is something like that? You know, you think of things getting digitized and you think of a flatbed scanner and you think of, well, you put it in the scanner, you close the lid, you digitize it, um, you get an image. But how, how is a 3D object um, digitized? Well, right now for us, it's, we, we actually, one of the um, institutions we work with a fair amount is the McKissick Museum, and we've also worked with the State Museum. And for their materials, we have done photography. So it's a little rudimentary where it's basically three or four different sides of an item that you're just looking at the photographs. But I think there is movement on that front. And I do recall that the College of Charleston had a little sort of plug-in in their repository at one point where you could kind of sort of scroll around and look at all sides of the item. Uh, so I know that that capability is out there for 3D and I'm sure it'll, it'll keep getting to us and we'll have it in there at some point. It's amazing when you think of all these different formats and, and, and what's available. So um, when you look at the collection, you know, like you said, you've got I don't know, maybe like 70 instant cultural heritage institutions uh, over the South Carolina Digital Library. And by the way, the URL for the um, website is scmemory.org. And we will have a link to that in our podcast description. And I encourage folks to get there. And once you get there and you do a search, you will immediately look up later and it's like two hours have gone by and you've just been looking through all of these different things. But um, maybe if uh, each of you could spend a few moments and this can be like a personal reaction or you know something that's important in the collections, but what do each of you kind of consider some of the most interesting collections that you've come across? When you um, ask that question, one of the first collections that comes to my mind is a very unusual collection that is in the Carolinian Library at University of South Carolina. Uh, and it's a man named William Henry Ravenel was a botanist during the Civil War. We, we got a grant to scan all of his collections. He had about, I may not get the number right here, I want to say 13 journals. So they're all fully transcribed, so you can search the journals. Uh, he lived during the Civil War, so it's pretty interesting to see how he writes about what's happening during the war and how he gets news and inf information. But part of his collection, since he was a botanist, was he collected mushrooms or fungi. And the Caroliniana has in about four or five volumes, how should I say this, um, smushed <laughs> mushrooms on these pages in this book. And so for the grant, we scanned his volumes of fungi and it's got a, a very wonderful title and everything. So I do encourage people to look for um, Ravenel's fungi if they have a chance. Uh, the other collection that's large that I think of, and this is also USC, um, is moving image research collections um, film 
And uh, I was just looking at it a little bit today, and it's kind of amazing what you can find, all the moving images, early, early film from the 1900s, some without sound, but some with sound. Um, And I I don't know if you've talked to Mark on this podcast, but uh, I could go on and on about what you can find in terms of early presidents speaking. So those are the two that um, make what I think of off the top of my head. Um, John? Sure. Yeah, I I agree, Curtis. You said, um, you know, you'll go to the SCDL website and and look at what's there and and then you'll look up and it's two hours have passed. And and the Merck collection that Kate was talking about is is my rabbit hole. I can go if I if I start looking at that, I'll go down and uh, two hours will pass in a heartbeat. There's so much neat stuff available there. Um, As far as collections that um, I find particularly interesting, um, often, for me, the most interesting collection is the one that I'm working on currently or, or just finished. Um, I always get so excited about a new collection. Um, but one that stands out uh, particularly interesting um, is an ongoing project. It's called the Colin J. McRae Papers, the Hughes Audit Series. And um, this is actually a collaborative effort between the South Carolina Confederate Relic Room and Mr., uh, uh, Military uh, Museum and uh, the South Carolina State Library. And it's a a large collection of receipts and financial records documenting shipments of supplies from Europe to the Confederate Army during the Civil War. And these kinds of primary source records are extremely rare. And and I think this is a collection that's that's gonna see a lot of um, uh, use to have a great value to scholars and be of, uh, of great general interest. And it's going to grow. It's a very large collection that um, slowly but surely we're, we're, we're picking away at and adding. And then another collection that, that always uh, comes up in my mind, it's actually one of the very first collections that I helped usher into the, um, the SCDL, and it, it too is from the South Carolina State Library. It's called the South Carolina Bookmobile Collection. Uh, I just love to see these these old bookmobiles and and the excitement on the faces of the patrons who are lined up um, waiting for the book bookmobiles to arrive on dirt uh, you know rural dirt roads and and they're excited to to check out books uh, for the next week or two and um, it just reminds me when I see these pictures and the um, the patrons some of whom are barefoot uh, uh, that there's a long tradition in libraries of providing um, providing access to to resources and going to great lengths to do to do that and I, I see a, a direct um, link to what we're doing, uh, digitally providing access to, to resources. It's kind of like we're a digital bookmobile. Uh, so that's a particular favorite of mine. I, I would encourage anybody to go, to go look at that, and it would get you excited about libraries uh, and what they do for everybody. And if I could add one more thing, um, there are so many like unique, amazing collections. It's kind of hard to talk about, you know, even a small amount of them. Um, But one of the really strong things about the South Carolina Digital Library as a whole is that you can search across, like you said earlier. Um, And for instance, one of the examples I always think of is if you search for Rosenwald schools, then you, you start going down a rabbit hole of all the different institutions that have materials they have, you know, one institution will have photographs of the Rosenwald schools across South Carolina. 
one institution will have the Carolinana has, or not the Carolina, the oral history department at USC has oral histories of people who went to those schools. The state library has a document of all the schools. So it's just kind of wonderful how you can do a search and then see how we all have a little bit of, um, of a topic that can, you can kind of bring it together like that. And I guess that's really the importance of that good metadata because, you know, this, when you search across all of these different collections, you're going to want to find all of those tidbits and pull them into, you know, whatever project it is you're working on. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize, both of you mentioned Merck, and that's the Moving Image Research Collections that's part of the University of South Carolina. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, there are these audio files, there are these video files, and, you know, like you said, they might have um, talking moving images and some are silent images. And you also mentioned primary resources. So it's, it's really important that people doing research or just the general public who has an interest in a certain topic uh, and they're not finding what they need elsewhere can always you know, search for, for these kinds of things through scmemory.org. But could one of you maybe talk a little bit just for a second about how copyright is handled? Like if somebody wanted to use a clip of one of these moving images or use a photograph in something they're producing, you know, um, do they have to cite the, that the certain collection it's from or are they not able to use it because of certain restrictions? We get right clearance every time as much as we can when we make a collection available. So we're not going to put anything up that people can't use or we haven't gotten permission from the curator or the owners of the collections to make available. However, um, so people in sort of educational use, please, it would be wonderful if they cited where they got the materials from, you know, just a good citation. If you, if you want to publish an item in a book and say get a high resolution image or a high resolution image to print, then at that point you need to talk to the curator. And so in what we've been talking about this metadata, it is listed what institution and what department, if you're looking at something from the University of South Carolina, which I realize can be really big and has about seven different special collections, um, then you just look at the, um, the department within USC. So um, if it is a photograph from the Carolinana, you would reach out to the curator for visual materials. And that contact is information, that information is there. If it's not, it's at, on the USC website and get permission and then that person, that curator would help you with uh, the high-res image and paying for the high-res image and stuff like that. Am I missing anything? I don't think so. I think that's, that's the gist of it, basically. Okay, great. Yeah, because a lot of people, you know, I mean, if somebody's writing a book or they're putting together a documentary film, they have to be able to provide those, um, those sources. So we, we as library folk always encourage that anyway. <laughs> um, so as we wrap up, uh, I just wanted to ask, uh, do either of you have any kind of special projects coming up or maybe some special collections that you're working on uh, getting into the catalog? Well, um, currently I'm working on two, uh, two projects um, for the South Carolina uh, Digital Library. Um, one is, the, is from the U USC Lancaster, and we're, I'm working with them to get their yearbooks um, digitized and online and then into the SCDL. 
And another one is from Berkeley County Public Library. Um, we have a, a long history of working with them, even though they're in the low country, we, we've been working with them for some time. And so they are, we're in the midst of uh, collaborating to bring online a city, city, I'm sorry, a city directory from the 1950s, which looks like um, it'll be quite interesting. And, and those city directories always get a great deal of use. People are very interested to see um, who was on this street or where did this guy live or what was this business before uh, it was a dry cleaner. And so that's, uh, that's another item that will get a lot of use. So those are two that are coming soon to uh, an SCDL near you. And then I guess the, the one other collection, we got a grant on a civil rights collection which is just, I think it's fascinating. It's maybe a, a year or two out before materials will actually be online. We're gonna be scanning 30 boxes of manuscript, which is a ton. And it, it started during the pandemic. So we're kind of down on people who can be in the building, but eventually when we're up and running, it's called the South Carolina Council on Human Relations. And it was a very large grassroots group of people during the civil rights era black and white people, interracial working together to advance civil rights in South Carolina. And it worked with people nationally and just, it was just, it sounds like an amazing collection. So I'm very excited for this to be made available online, but it, it is a few years away. And that speaks to the, you know, amount of time it takes to get all of these kinds of things digitized and cataloged with all of that good metadata. So yeah, you, you sounds like you have your work cut out for you. <laughs> well, um, wrapping up, I just want to say thank you for all you guys do. I encourage folks to visit the South Carolina Digital Library and go through all of its holdings of all of these institutions across the state. And I, you know, remember when all this got started years ago. So it's nice to be able to see it at a point where there's so much coverage of, uh, you know, great information and primary resources um, so that researchers and just the general public can have such great access to it. So um, thank you both for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Curtis. This is really fun. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Pleasure, yeah. to pleasure to talk to both of you. And thank you to our listeners. You can find Library Voices SC on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We also love hearing from our listeners, so please send us your comments and suggestions for future topics. Library Voices SC is the official podcast of the South Carolina State Library. So until next time, this is Curtis Rogers. Thanks for listening. Thank you.